0: Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. Well, if this is your first time here, I'm going to try and catch you up. If you were here last week, I am going to just say some refreshing refreshers for you. We started this series called Follow First. And we started looking at the life and ministry of Jesus first, and we're going to be looking at different people in Scripture that we think followed and led well. And in in our current culture and the way things are, I I had last week two giant stacks of, of leadership books, and I said, you know, search on Amazon, and there is no shortage of leadership books and people who think they should write leadership books. And... However, if you go to the follow section, I don't think it's very marketable to talk about be a good follower, right? This just doesn't sit so well. I don't think anyone's really excited about—I mean, there's a couple out there, but it's just not as exciting. Jesus took the leadership model, and he literally— turned it upside down. He, if you look at the kind of the standard pyramid structure of the leader at the top, and they're, you know, they get all the credit, and they're doing all these things. He flips it upside down. He, he, he literally puts it on his back with the cross, and, and he says, no, I came to serve. And so he, he called us, and then he, he, he helped us, and then he served, and he, he died for us, and then he had the audacity to say, now go do likewise. Go serve. Serve, serve in leadership. Follow first. And and then I started thinking to myself, how did Jesus explain this? Did did Jesus model this? And we're going to show that in just a second here. So Jesus did not call us to be world-class leaders. That was his job. Jesus called us to be faithful followers. Now, I'm not denying your gift of leadership. Some of you are incredible, dynamic leaders in your field but at the core of Christianity is the follower. And I, I, don't, I just don't think follower is, is an exciting thing for us to talk about. So then I thought, why not make a title out of it? <clears throat> Jesus made um, a way for us, and, and I, I think that it's really good for us to think about it like this, that no longer do we need to waste our lives with tireless pursuits that leave us exhausted and unfulfilled. Instead, he gives us a path and says, now go and be who I created you to be. So for just a, a quick reminder, I, I use the example of Simon Says or, or um, Follow the Leader. We teach our kids this, right? We, we use this as a way to, to learn. And I, I was terrible at Simon Says. I was like the first one out all the time. And, and I was so jealous of those kids who just, they were such good listeners, and they were so good, and I was so antsy, and I was trying to. But what are, what are these games for? They're to teach you how to follow directions, to teach you to listen. And so we teach these kids this at, at such a young age, and then all of a sudden, they follow their friends and do what they do. And us as parents and, and teachers, what, would you do what they told you to do? Would you follow them off of a bridge? Right? And, and you're like, no. This, it, so now all of a sudden they go from needing to be a follower. They've always followed the leader. And now they're supposed to somehow just all of a sudden think for themselves. And we call this critical thinking. And, and we're trying to teach them this. So, But in one way, we want them to learn to follow and listen because we want them to survive childhood. And at the same time, we want them to lead. We want them to think for themselves. We want them to be critical thinkers But their entire lives, they have learned to only follow. And all of a sudden, these expectations, they don't go really well. And those of you who are like me, you have to learn the strength and build the muscle of saying no, of understanding. Now, I I believe that parents and bosses and teachers and pastors like myself here are trying to say, follow the right people. We want them to follow the right people, to know the voices to actually listen to. And as Christians, we follow the voice of Jesus that went before us. Now, could you put up that slide, please, that we have? of? So this is the example with um, what Jesus did by following. He modeled this for us. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Hebrews 10.9. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This again shows that Jesus was not just a created being, he was with God in the very beginning. I and the Father are one. Jesus is equal, yet obedient to the Father. Jesus is equal, yet subordinate. To the Father, Jesus is equal, but not independent. He is co-equal in imitating his Father in heaven, which he showed us how to live. He showed us that we too are to model like he did. He didn't even come, even though he could have. He came and followed, and he's showing us to do likewise. With the next scripture I have, it's uh, Philippians 3.17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, remember it says us here, we're going to come back to that, keep your eyes on those who live as we, plural, do. Now the underlying part though is sumametes, be followers together, join in imitating or become fellow imitators. These all mean the same thing. These all are ways that this could, one word, that Greek word, could be interpreted, or like on our mugs that say pursuing Jesus together. This is what we are called to do. We are called to join together in following. Now, Paul here is saying, follow my example. But is he leading us to him? No. He says, follow my example as I follow Christ. And then he says, and then you follow us, plural, as a model. And then you follow those who live as we do. In other words, you and I are supposed to imitate those who are following Jesus. Now you, many of you in here are mature Christians and there are people who are not as mature as you and they are looking to you, whether you recognize it or not. They're watching the way you talk to your spouse. They're watching the way you raise your grandkids and talk to your grandkids. They're watching the way you talk to other people, the way you edify, the way that you encourage, the way that you say, can I pray for you? You are imitating Christ and the youngers are looking at you and learning from you. This is what we are called to do. We are called to pursue Jesus together. We are called to be followers together. And I love that Paul was so clear about saying that, don't imitate me because I'm me and I'm awesome. Imitate me because I am imitating Christ. Us. We. You. We are a part of this model. For this reason, this morning, after looking at Jesus' life, we are going to move on from Jesus because although we needed to start with Jesus as the foundation and the core, because he's perfect, and so he's not going to make mistakes as we do, I thought, well, we can pretty much pick any character in the Bible and go, okay, great, because now we can learn from them who are going to make a lot of mistakes. So today we are starting with the life of Moses. And um, if you know much uh, about Moses, he was, uh, he's given credit for writing the first five books of the Bible. It's called uh, the Pentateuch or the Torah. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He's kind of a big deal, all right? If you're a Jew, Moses is a big deal. If you're a Christian, Moses is a big deal. And even if you're a Muslim, Moses is a big deal. He's an important figure. He, he's a, a prophet, mightily used by God, used to, to lead out Israel from the hands of Pharaoh and of Egypt. There was a, an author, um, her name is Ruth, or she still is an author, Ruth Haley Barton, and she wrote a book in 2008 named uh, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Seeking God in the Crucible of Ministry. And she, the whole book she uses Moses kind of as a, as a leadership guide. And I, I had to take this class and I had to use, this was one of the books we, we had to do. And I just remember, thinking, I disagree. She had, she had amazing things and I highlighted a lot of things in this book, but I, I disagree. And, and here's, here's what I would argue because she, she argues that Moses is this incredible leader and we need to learn from him. And, and there's a part of that, I, I agree, but this is, this is my argument. Moses was not a born leader. He was an apprehensive follower. He was not a born leader. He was an apprehensive follower. He grew into what God had for him. And it was a long process. He grew into it. And it was a long process. I don't know about you, but for me, that's incredible news. Moses was a human, and he was prone to error. He murdered somebody. He ran from his troubles. He doubted himself. His marriage was very questionable at times. He lost his temper. He did his own things out of his own will. And although we are looking to God, we are keeping our eyes on Jesus, we're also learning what God has shown us through his word through different people. Now, I know you guys are super Christians, so I'm probably preaching to myself this morning, and so that's okay. All right, I'll, I'll just take it, and you can just nod your head and go, yeah, Dale, you need that. You, you need that. So I, I, really, when I, when I look at it and I, I think of, of Moses God has a way of breaking us down and getting us to where our humility level needs to be. And when it's at that point, when we have got to the point, like Pharaoh, of humbling himself, I mean, Pharaoh took a lot of hits. All these different curses and all these different things that came to let... My people go to that moment. There took so much time for the breaking down of Pharaoh to say, you may leave. And I think so many of us probably identify with Pharaoh more than we recognize is that sometimes the Lord has to really get our attention before we're ready to listen. John Wilmot wrote, before I got married, I had six theories about raising children. Now I have six children and no theories. So, <laughs> you young adults about to go off to college, remember that. Many of us have a lot of grandiose ideas about life and how things work. Until, until, um, when we were out with uh, Brian and Karen yesterday, I told them a story of <laughs> of how great parents we were. We uh, when our First two were born, we were like, we were ready to write books. Now I'm I'm kidding, but you know, it's like, man, we we had this thing down. We had it. I mean, we may we should have just been traveling right away. And then, then we had Asher. And Asher's a great kid. He's awesome. But everything that worked, every every system that we had in place failed us. It failed us. I mean. So this might be a little much too, de- too many details, but that's okay. Potty training, I had this thing with the kids. So, okay, my wife did, of course, more of the consistent work and stuff. But I, I just remember this moment where, you know, when, when you have young kids, you, like, put under- underwear on them and say, doesn't that feel great? And you're thinking, it's so much less expensive than diapers. Come on, let's win this party. And... <laughs> I remember Eden, I got this cute little, you know, little princess underwear. Or no, it was Hello Kitty. Hello, remember Hello Kitty, anybody? And, oh, you know, it was so great. And one time she had a, you know, little child accident in him. And I said, oh, Eden, you made that kitty so sad. <laughs> it worked. She was devastated. She was devastated. She was like, oh, I can't do that again, you know. Some of you already can tell where this is going. Asher had Spider Man underwear. So I'm like, I got this. Oh man, I got this. Asher, you made Spider Man so sad. Sweet! <laughs> he thought it was the coolest thing ever, and I'm like, oh no. What worked for us, you know? And and in the mall, I mean, I remember, you know, those of you who are grandparents or parents or maybe you've watched kids before, you know how it is and you're going through and they want to go, you know, go under the clothes and spin in the carousel or whatever. And you're like, we're leaving. Bye. And you do, you know, we do it. You do it. I know you do it. And all of a sudden, the kids go, no, no. The tears are coming. The mouth's open. Oh, you know. And it worked. Liam, bam, cries, tears, winning. Eden, bam, cries, tears, winning, out the door. Asher, waves at us, bye, see ya, goes the other direction. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. This is how it was. I thought this kid is, somebody's gonna take him. Somebody is gonna, he's just gone. He, he, and he's totally happy with it and he thinks he can handle it. <laughs> Like he said, I had, I had six theories and then I had six children and then I had no theories, right? And I think sometimes as Christians, we have a lot of theories and we have a lot of ideas and we don't necessarily understand what different people have walked through. We don't understand what their entire story and, and what's happened to them and, and we judge and, and I know I'm guilty of this and, and I, I pray and I say, Lord, help me not to be like that. I, I need to have your eyes Lord, and just like the scripture says and what Jesus said, Lord, help me, I'm gonna do what you do. And then we're supposed to see what God is doing by his spirit, speaking to us as Christians, and we try and do what Christ is doing. That, that's part of, of us modeling, part of us following first. Imitate those who have the fruit of the spirit. And what we see in the Old Testament is, is the aroma of Christ. The, the aroma, follow those that have the aroma of somebody who has followed well. And those are the people that we need to be following. And in that you are leading. Moses was raised at a time of infanticide. Pharaoh had seen how Israel was growing and he was fearful. <clears throat> he commanded and said, every male must die. But something about Moses' mother looked at this child and said, there's something different here. Something, something is different about this child. And so when, when, you think of, when, you, when you read and when you think about Moses and, and when he led, you have to think about there were not many people his age. There, there were very, very few, if any. And she, she, the Scripture tells us how she made this basket and, and she put this pitch around it to be able to float. And it got to the point where Moses was going up and he's going to be too old and too loud. And you know this mother prayed. She interceded. She wept. Her family knew about it. And she put Moses in the river and Moses started to float down by the reeds. And what I find almost heart-wrenching about it is Moses' little sister she was crying she was weeping she was helping mom with baby Moses and the Bible tells us that she followed at a distance she followed and she's going along the weeds and she's watching what's happening what's happening and and Moses gets caught up in some weeds and Pharaoh's daughter is in the water and bathing and says, what is that? And she sends some of her people to go and this is one of the Israelite babies. And you know the Lord just has his hands in the way that he miraculously does stuff like this. And the bold little, or Moses' bigger sister comes up and goes, I know somebody who could feed Moses. And Pharaoh's daughter says, Cool, and I'll pay her for it. So now, I mean, you think about the answered prayer, you think about what on earth just happened here. This absolute miracle that God is now paying them, and Moses is being raised in the heritage of the Jewish people, in understanding who God is until he was weaned. And and at that time, it was much older than what we do today. God allowed Moses to be raised by his own mother. And then, he got to go to the highest education, the best education around, and he began to be inserted into the Egyptian way of life. But still knowing who his people were. And at some point, he saw an Egyptian beating up one of his people and somehow he, he found a way to try not to be seen or found out and he killed this Egyptian, buried the Egyptian, went on to life like normal and we don't know exactly how long it had been but one day he saw the, some Israelites fighting and he, he came over and he said, what are you fighting for? And they looked at him and said, what are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And at this point he realized He had been found out, and he goes, and he runs away. And then he, as he's running away, he's kind of sitting. He's dejected, doesn't know what to do. He goes, and he helps out at a well. There's some ladies that need some help. He helps them. Next thing you know, um, their parents, Jethro, comes out and says, hey, come on over here. Who are you? Tell us your story. Next thing you know, he's married, to one of, now he's a shepherd. And what's so fascinating about this is that a shepherd to the Egyptians was the lowest job that you could ever have. They, 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 were, they were scum. And so Moses literally went from the top to the very, very bottom. How much more humbling could this be? So at Exodus, we're going to read six verses here. Starting at um, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over to it and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, But I stole a title from my wife, uh, and she gave me permission. This is the first sermon I ever heard her preach. Um, Could you go ahead and put that up for me, please? Do I have a big butt? Now, you notice the butt is different. But it's very fitting for what we're going to hear from Moses Now, I I want you to be, before we start looking, we're going to look at four ways that God tried to reject, or what Moses tried to reject what God told him about himself, okay? We are going to look at these four things that that Moses said. And if you read this on your own, you're going to see how many buts are in this, okay? So go to the next one. But, so Moses says, when, when God then gives them this promise, you are going to go, you're going to go to Israel, they, they have suffered long enough, their time is done, and I am raising you up, you are going to go there, you are going to talk to them, and you are going to be a part of the, the group that's going to lead Israel out, all right? So let's look at this strong leader, the strong leader Moses, what's the first thing he says? Who am I? Who am I? How many times have you said that about yourself? Who am I? God, use somebody else. I don't have the right education. I'm not qualified for this. Why, do you, why are you leading me to this? I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I don't have the background for this. And God says to Moses and to us, I will be with you. If he's called you for something, he is going to empower you to do that thing. Okay? Okay? Let's go to the next. But, Moses, this is his second excuse. They will not believe me or listen to my voice. So often, God is giving us a word. God is telling us to do something. He's leading us in a, in a certain direction. And we think, oh, nobody, nobody's going to actually care. Nobody's going to listen to what I have to say. And, and I absolutely love God's response to this. And this is something that, oh, man, it, it, I think that it, if we could get a hold of this one thing, it would change our Christian walk. I really, really do. God looks at him, and his response is, what's in your hand? He's a lowly shepherd. What does he have? He has a staff. And, he, and God, I could just see him sitting there going, I can do something with that. I can, I can do something with that. And, and friends, I mean, think of this. What has God gifted you with? What, what are the strengths? What are the desires of your heart? And, and I, I've seen, you know, I, I didn't gr- grow up in, in a lot of art. And um, I, honestly, I rolled my eyes about a lot of it. I just, it's just not around. I just didn't have that kind of a upbringing, you know? We're from rural North Dakota. We got the ground and we've got guns and we got snowmobiles, you know? We didn't have a whole lot of art, you know? And, I mean, I loved it, but I, I just didn't know anything about it. And then I married Jaina, who is just through and through, you know. And, and she has a lot of friends that are artists. And we started, we started doing ministry things with, with people that have just these incredible things. And, and, like, there's this one book that one of the guys wrote called Kill Your Art. And, and it's ways that, to express the gospel through art and through song and through paintings and that everything that they do can start creating. And that is what God put in their hand And they're glorifying the Lord with the gift that that God put in their hand. And and I think that so often we look at certain gifts and we think, well, we want that one. And we're not happy with what God has given us. And God is saying, what is in your hand? I can use that. And so I I can't speak for you. I I mean, I I know what some of your gifts are. And I I love it. And I love what the Lord is is doing with, with you. But I think some of you, you just think, well, who am I? That was Moses' first question. Who am I? And here he's saying, what's in your hand? And so my question to you is, are you being faithful with what God has put in your hand? Number three, but I am not eloquent. I don't speak good. Well, something like that. I am slow of speech and of tongue. So now, I mean, Moses is is throwing out all sorts of reasons why he cannot be used by God And God, I mean, he, he drops the mic right here. And he literally says, who made your mouth? I mean, at this point, God is losing his patience a little bit. But I, I don't think that these excuses for Moses are that far off from ours, are they? All the reasons why we can't do something. And God is having a response to each and every one until... Let's go to the next one. Moses says, please send somebody else. And God created the emoji in this moment. <laughs> and he said, angry face. Now, <laughs> if you read the Bible, it says God was angry. And for those of you who have created this image of God where God doesn't get angry, you have created a false image of God. He does get angry. He, he does get upset. If, you, if you've been a parent, you know that there are times that you get upset. There are things when I want the best for my children. My parents wanted the best for me. And there are times that I veered off and I did the wrong thing. And guess what? They were mad. And they were rightfully so. And honestly, sometimes I needed to know they were mad because then I realized I screwed up. Now, what I find funny is that God knew that he was gonna be mad. He did. He knew it, but he was still mad about it. And and so he says, okay, emoji, angry face. And he says, okay, your brother Aaron is on his way. He can speak well. And he's going to come and he is going to help you. And so God knew what was going to happen. And I think like many of us, he knows what's going to happen. He knows decisions that we're going to make. But it doesn't mean that he's happy about it. When he knows we could have taken a better path. All right, can you go to the next one, please, Kelsey? God said to Moses, Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you should speak. This is what God said to Moses. So this is, again, God's word to Moses. Now therefore go. I will be your mouth. Can you go to the next one? This is how I interpret this for, for, for us today. I changed two words. Weakness and no. Now therefore go, and I will, be your we- I will be with your weakness and teach you what you should know. Can you flip it back to the, the first one? Now therefore go, so Moses' weakness was his mouth. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth. So what I'm trying to say to you today is, now therefore go to your work, to your neighborhood, to your school, to your classrooms, to to wherever it is, and I'm going to be with your weakness. Where your weakness is, I am going to be with you, and then instead of what you should speak, it says, I'm going to help you with what you need to know. I am with you, I am with your weakness, and I am here, and I'm going to be and help you with what you need to know. This is an encouraging word, friends. Used by, given to a man who was not a born and fantastic leader, as we can see with all of these excuses. And just as a reminder, God can use somebody like this. Which means he can use somebody like you, which means he can use somebody like me. All right, let's go to the next one, please. We're almost done, friends. His faith, Moses is uh, um, actually. Let's can you go back to the first one. Moses was not a born leader; he was an apprehensive follower. Just keep that in your head. Now let's look at the next three. His faith increased as he followed God. His leadership increased. The weight on him began to increase as he continued to follow God. His leadership grew as he followed. This is what happens. Our faith is increased when we see God coming through and helping us lead. The more you depend on him, the more you pray, the more that you search, the more your confidence is going to grow. And at the end, he became unrecognizable to those who knew him as he followed God. Could you put that picture up of Frank? Many of you, a lot of you don't know Frank. Uh, He was the grandpa of this church. Um, He was the one from so many of you that greeted you when you first came through our door. He wrestled and played with our kids. It it was like a a holy terror when Frank was chasing the kids. The kids ran like, oh my goodness, he almost caught me, you know. He's awesome. But here's what happened yesterday, and some of you that were here heard a little bit of this story, but you didn't hear the whole thing. I was talking to one of the sons afterwards, and here, as a, as a church family that knew Frank, we knew the saved Frank. We knew the Frank that God had a hold of for decades and decades and decades and created this amazing grandpa to our church, kind and helpful and loving. That's who you knew. But when I was talking to Pat, their oldest son. He shared, he said, I didn't even get a kiss from my mom until my marriage day. That was the first time. A hug? He goes, I couldn't believe it when I got my first hug from my dad. We were in the connection lounge. I started asking him more questions. I said, how old were you when Frank gave his life to the Lord? He said, I was 11. He said, dad went to a church service. He walked up to the altar with his pack of camels. He said he smoked three packs a day, unfiltered camel cigarettes, and he laid them on the altar never to smoke again. He said from that moment, his life changed. But you know what? His family didn't. It took time because they were raised a certain way. And so often, we as a church, we get to see people, we get to see the fruit of God working on them for so many years. And it's glorious, but we forget the whole story. And as a church, for us to be healthy, we need people in every part of that story. From people who are I don't know if I'm going to put my faith in, in Christ yet, and they're working on that. And we're there for them. And for the people who are brand new Christians, but they don't quite fit the mold yet. And we're there for them. And for all the people, we are pursuing Jesus together, becoming the church together, and raising up the body of Christ. He became unrecognizable. Moses was unrecognizable. And guess what? Frank was unrecognizable to the people who knew him in his early years. We got to see the fruit of it and experience that. Isn't that powerful? I just, I just think that's so cool. You go to the last slide. What does this mean for us? So what? And so here, here's how I broke these down for us. Where God leads you, he will be with you. Where God leads you, he will give you what you need, what's in your hand, Right? Where God leads you, he will remind you who you are in him. Lastly, where God leads you, he will provide an Aaron. He wasn't happy. He wasn't happy that Moses at this point couldn't just trust God. God was not happy with this. However, God provided him exactly who he needed. And I, I think for us, we need to remember that there are times in our lives where we are struggling. We, we're, tr- we're doing our best to, to listen and, and to, to do this, but we need help. We need help, and we need to say, Lord, we need you to provide an errand for me. Lord, I need you to get the right person in my life. I need encouragement right now. I need help. I need, I need to move forward I think there are so many of us that just get stuck and we're just like Moses. We're just like Moses. Who am I? I can't do this. I don't have the proper skills. I don't have the proper education. And God comes along and says, who made your mouth? I'm with you. I can be with you. So I, church, we are talking about following first. We are talking about being tremendous followers. And I believe that you are going to be able to walk in the most that God has for you when you become a good follower. And if you have any age on you at all, you know that there have been some people who came across as tremendous leaders, but the people who followed them ended up in the desert because they were not following anybody but themselves. We must follow people who are following Christ, and we follow those people together. Amen? Would you please stand? We have an amazing group of people here. We have amazing people who love to pray with those who are, you know, just have things going on throughout the week that may be heavy or just, they just need an extra encouraging um, Christian to come alongside them and pray. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you need some time, The altar's open for you. If you need somebody to come and pray alongside of you, we've got some uh, people to come and, and pray with you. But most of all today, I want you to be able to get to the point in your life where you say, the most important thing that I can do is follow Christ and follow those who are pursuing him with all that they have. That's who we need to keep our eyes on, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we... Love you so much, Lord. We love the, the end process. I think all of us want to be at the end. We want to be at the point where we're, we've got everything figured out. Lord, we know that from your examples and Moses' perfect example, that we need to be in a place of brokenness. We need to be in a, a place where you can use us and, and speak into our lives. So, Lord, I pray that we can be a people that are humble. We can be a people. That can be used by you and see mighty, mighty works from your hands in our lives, Lord Jesus. In your holy name we pray, and the church said, Amen and Amen. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.